your student radio station on 12:51 a.m. This is your role. Um, hello, welcome to Insight. Hello, welcome to Insight, which has already got to a fantastic start. Um, I'm your host, head of news, Ima Kungu. He, him. Um, Insight is Raw News's premier news show uh, where we discuss all the biggest matters of the week with Warwick students, and we get to see their opinion on what uh, on you know, all the biggest stories off and on campus. Um, this week, we're going to be discussing. We're going to be discussing, of course. Um, the biggest event of last week, and um, I'm probably remember this year, the inauguration of Joe Biden, and how exactly his first week is going. We're also going to talk about more student issues, particularly the Warwick Red Strike, and what the panel thinks feels, how the panel feels about that. We have a mixture of people from, who are currently on campus at the student accommodation and um, are still at home. We're also going to discuss what's next for universities. This week, we've a lot of speculation about where universities are going to go in future. Um, we've heard some universities dropping lectures altogether. Um, we've had some universe, we've had some, you know, UCAS has been discussing changing how they do admissions to maybe move it after A-level results. And also we've, uh, Gavin, I think Gavin Williams went out today and said that we should maybe fund media studies less and engineering more. And I want to hear what you think about the, the latest front in the humanities versus art versus um, a STEM war. But, but more, before we get into any of that, it's time to introduce my wonderful, wonderful panel, starting with Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the stream. Hi everyone, thanks for having me. I'm Andrew, second year general engineering and they them pronouns. So Andrew, you're you're currently on the engineering SSLC, I, I, I hope I said that correctly, can I remember what it's called? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what are you guys working on right now? So right now we're considering, uh, it's basically moving exams a bit earlier into term three and then that way students, if they wish and if it's safe to do so, they can come in after the exams in term three and do like formative uh, hands-on practical stuff because if you're studying engineering you need to know how to do some practical stuff and if you spend your first like uh, your first year at university just doing theoretical like online lectures yeah you, you just want a taste of the good stuff basically yeah well um, so obviously i'm i don't know i don't know engineering i don't know how you know i've obviously i'm not interactive that kind of stuff but what's your sort of message engineering students right now it was sort of maybe feeling worried they're not getting the full extent of their degree uh just hold on tight the department is completely aware of the concerns like i think every department in the university wants people to have that face-to-face -face experience but they want it to be safe at the same time so they're in it for the students they're not in it for themselves yeah uh, now, going from someone doing what Gavin Williams could do a worthy degree, someone doing one that's not so much. Um, Scott, welcome to the stream. Hi, Enoch. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, so, Scott, Andrew, do you guys want to start the humanities STEM war right now, or should we save that for later on the show? I thought I should. Unless you are. Okay. No, no, no. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> yeah. So, Scott, obviously, you said history and politics, correct? Um, just like that's me. right. Yeah. How is that going in sort of this online year? Well, you know, not too bad. I mean, uh, I don't know how you found it, but uh, I found a lot of the library uh, resources are available online. Um, I've I've been very lucky, I think, in that I've, I've had some very good lecturers, module conveners who've been pretty available um, for, for most of the time and uh, have adapted quite well to online teaching. So um, I personally have had quite a good experience with it. Um, it helps that I'm living in quite a big student house as well, so I don't have I mean, too many problems with getting lonely. But, uh, I mean, I can see you living in a student house just from the decor. Um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're not all mine, I should say. Uh, oh, I, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah I promise. We believe you. Um, and now some, um, someone who's, you know, new to the show, um, we're going, but also, you know, not new to the new scene here around Warwick, we welcome a, a born news deputy, Eden. Eden, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, no, well, please, don't let me... Oh, well, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, like, I think I agree with Scott when he says yeah. that it's probably easier as a second or third year student studying humanities subject. You've already had, like, one or two years where you've sort of engaged in the... Um, sort of in-person subject and sort of like the experience of that. But as a fresher, I think it's quite different because I have no idea <laughs> what the in-person experience is. I mean, let's talk about that a bit then. How, as a fresher, how do you, what do you, what is your experience like? Um, it's very, yeah, I mean, I use the word like uh, lonely. Well, it's, I wouldn't call it lonely. I, I use the word isolated because it is quite isolated. I, I'm at the learning grid right now because I find it difficult to view online lectures in my own room. And um, obviously, like going to the learning grid, it's like the time when I can see other people, not 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 getting anywhere near them, obviously, because against the rules and stuff. But, um, you know, it's... It, it's it's a very different experience and I think it's very hard to describe it in a couple of words. I think you'd have to experience it to sort of yeah. truly understand. Uh, I don't think anything's ever been truer than that. Um, but we welcome on, I think, someone who knows a bit more about do, you know, doing humanities, um, probably you have a third year here. Arthur, welcome to the stream. Hello. Uh, so Arthur, yeah, you're a third year history, you're, what's history and politics, I believe? PPE, not history and politics, come on. Well, you know, PPE, barely a subject. Um, so uh, Arthur, then, looking looking back at all three of your years at Warwick, what, what do you think your entire experience has been like? Obviously, there's been there's been strikes, there's also been COVID. Do you think you've got your, your, your money's worth it? I've got to be quite honest. I think a lot of people asking for refunds are being slightly facetious. I think we're actually getting more value for money now it's all online now than we were before. It's, I mean, especially for me, I'm, I'm not good at getting up in the morning. So I, I missed quite a few contact hours in first and second year. But as soon as everything goes online, yeah, <laughs> there's no issues whatsoever because you just roll out of bed and, and join your seminar. So it's been quite right, actually. I honestly, I'm probably one of the few people who prefers the, um, the all online uh, system to go onto campus. And also Teams is quite functional. So yeah, I'm... I'm not particularly upset. All right. Oh, I hope you don't mind if I quote you on that. I quote you on that, Arthur. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think I'll have an interesting perspective on this. The, the idea that you know, obviously, we you hear a lot of people who are actually very who are very I mean, upset to be now all online. But you never hear the matter side of that. Actually, maybe online learning does work better. Online learning does work better for people. That's something that's very interesting. We'll discuss that a bit more later on in the show. Um, but my final guest, last but never least, um, is head of arts here at Raw, Charlie. Yeah, I'll try. I imagine on my on my learning is hard with a mic like that. So we'll, we'll come back to in just a second. Um, but I want I want to start with one of the biggest issues people are facing students on campus. Some of that's provoked a lot of passion around campus. Hopefully, we'll provoke that passion in the panel as well. Um, work rent strike across up and down the country. We're seeing students engaging in rent strikes, saying that because under the new lockdown rules, they're not allowed to return to university accommodations, um, whether that's university owned or privately owned, and so they want some sort of rent rebate. Um, we've seen it happen on campus. But now they want it um, for more accommodation more widely. And um, Pam, I want to ask, what do you think about the rent strike? Um, we'll start with you, Andrew. Well, I don't study law, so I can't really talk about the legal aspects of it. And I can completely understand why people who are paying for accommodation that they can't enter, of course, you're going to want your money back because they're not providing the service that they should be. And I guess if it's Warwick owned accommodation, they might have a chance at getting some of it back. But if you have like a private landlord, it's just going to turn into like a legal battle. And 
yeah, I mean, I guess if you get enough people, probably have a chance of getting the sort of rent abated or whatever. But I just, I can't really say anything further than that. Oh, Andrew, always a man, very cage the legal details. Eden, I'll come to you. What do you think about the rent strike? Yeah, I, I agree with um, the premise. I think legally it does make sense that if you're not on campus, perhaps you don't, you shouldn't be paying your rent, especially because we're not actually legally supposed to be on campus um, if you do have a place in the UK to live, <laughs> um, obviously. But I think there needs to be more push for tuition fee refunds, personally. I, do, I don't really agree with Arthur in the sense that... Um, online um, lectures are sort of more beneficial. And I do think that like the standard of online lectures compared to the standard of in-person lectures is uh, like comparatively lower. So I think, although like we have heard back from more about the rent waiver, I think there needs to be more of a push for perhaps like a, a, a larger safety net or sort of something, um, a comment by the uni or the student uni to say that it definitely is um, lower in terms of standards this year. I'd like to well, see that. Yeah, well, Arthur, I'm going to come straight to you then. What, what, what do you think? What, what, firstly, what do you think of the rent strike? But also, what, what we had to say to Eden in respect? Uh, on the rent strike, I think um, if a uni has a policy where students living um, or who, who are on campus, you can't come back onto campus. Um, so I've jumbled up a wording there. But I think um, it's a good policy to give refunds if. The unions are literally preventing you from coming onto campus. But I mean, obviously, the, the law is one thing, but uh, I mean, not to say any names, I know quite a few people who have returned to their university off campus accommodations for the term, even if there's, even if it's like nominally um, prevented by the law. So I think the case for a, um, a, like a refund there might be, might be more tenuous. And on the point of lecture quality dropping, I think I know because um, most of my modules are philosophy and I know what philosophy department is. They have an online lecture, which they post on Moodle. And then every week they have an asynchronous lecture, which is different from a seminar where the the, um, the lecture, the, the module tutor um, does a one hour Q&A. So you get the the online lecture, then you get the Q&A session, remember seminar. So I think they've counteracted the problem quite well. And I think at least for, with that department, I feel like, they, they they have a solution which actually kind of gives you more value if you consider it as an aggregate compared to having just one lecture and one seminar. Although I am aware that not all the humanities departments are doing that, and they should, because um, yeah, it's a it's a good arrangement. Like I think politics isn't doing it. Yeah, well, Scott, I want to come to you as someone who I know is currently still at the university at accommodation. Um, what do you think about the red strike? And also, what do you think about Arthur saying there about you know that they're still getting married for money? Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree more with Eden, I think, the, than Arthur. I, as much as uh, I, I, I've been coping quite well with online learning, I, I don't think it's quite the uh, full value for money uh, that you get, you know, from face-to-face -face learning. Um, although I do see the argument for basically getting more as an aggregate from extra Q&As and that sort of thing. I, I don't think that going back to face-to-face -face teaching sort of uh, would prevent, prevent uh, getting more out of your education in that way. A sort of, uh, I, I suppose, post-COVID, a mixed approach seems to be the uh, the way forward. But uh, yeah, in terms of rent strikes, obviously, uh, as you say, I, I'm back at my accommodation, so uh, 
I, I get much more animated by sort of the uh, talk about tuition fees and, um, you know, um, accounting for the uh, value lost uh, there than I do about rent strikes. I think that's probably a pl better place to start that most student, more students can get on board with uh, than the tricky issue of rent strikes. Well, yeah, I'll put this question to people watching at home. What do you think? Do you want tuition fee refunds? Do you want or do you support the rent strike? Please comment in and tell us. Um, Andrew, you you work with the education, the engineering department. Do you think, in terms of the you know, stuff they put out this term, it's been worth it in terms of students? I mean, it's difficult to say because there's a lot of time and effort going into producing the online materials. But obviously, if it's the first year doing this, some of them might not be, let's just say, as high quality as they would be during a regular year. I know that the people working in the department have been working really hard and they definitely say that we'd be getting our money's worth. I think personally, if I had more face-to-face -face stuff, uh, I mean, I'm having my first ever seminar next week, like I never had one before for engineering, then yeah, it probably would have been that same kind of value. It's tricky to say because uh, I agree with Arthur, rolling out of bed and being able to join like a lecture or something is really good. But at the same time, you need to have that collaboration between people you need to ask your friends questions about like difficult content and it's just it's not really that this year yeah well charlie i want to i want to come to you now um you're you you do life science correct that's you know it's a very involved subject do you feel like you've got on your, your value for money this year and, and she's charlie's still muted okay i think we'll uh, i think okay we'll, we'll, we might come back to charlie in just a bit um I want. I say okay. So we've, in terms of the rent strike, we've seen we've seen a lot of, we've seen on campus. The university has said we are we are going to do a rebate, by a week rebate until lockdown's over. Um, potentially more, hope, hopefully more if the lockdown continues. Off campus has been the real issue people are having. Um, so I, I, I want to come to you. Is it is it should a university do more for off campus students to come back can't come back to their accommodations, even if it's not a rent strike, even if it's not so much a rent rebate? Um, Let's go to um, well, Scott. You're you're already at your annual combination. Let's go to you, Arthur. Um, I mean, in an abstract ideal world, sure they should. But ultimately, I think, I mean, as I mean, this was hinted at in our kind of pre-stream um, discussion. But I think, especially, say for example, if like a landlord has. Um, like like one or two properties from main source of income, that kind of situation could end up being quite problematic. While the university, obviously, it's got you know thousands of students paying nine grand a year and loads of um, you know a huge surplus and loads of assets. So asking them for a refund isn't isn't as big of a deal. I mean, I'm with Warwick Accommodation, so I'd have expected that it'd be easy to get a refund from them. But I know some of the people in my um, in my house have gone back. To, to uni already well I'm staying at home for a bit so I mean again this this if 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 a government policy was strictly no one can go back to uni unless you're say a foreign student for example then I think that'd be a much stronger case but because we're in a kind of ambiguous weak enforcement um kind of zone in terms of where the lockdown policy is I I just I don't think like a like kind of widespread um, kind of private sector accommodation refunds are really that feasible. Yeah. Well, in light of all this, do we think the fact that work accommodation is sort of curtailing their off-campus offerings from next year? Um, is this sort of a good idea? Um, Eden, I'm going to come to you. How are you finally trying to find a house for next year, obviously being, being a freshman in this current situation? 
um, yeah, luckily I have found a house. And I'm, I'm actually living with my flatmates because um, it's quite hard to meet uh, new freshers on campuses. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, it was quite difficult finding a house. Uh, first, because we didn't have any in person viewing. So we, we, we very much chose our house on the basis of a 360 sort of live stream of what the house looked like. And we also saw like comments from the other people who lived there. and they sort of gave it a review. But yeah, it's, it's very different this year and it does feel sort of surreal to sort of be living in a house that I haven't actually seen. Um, it's not a very nice house, <laughs> I'm going to be very honest. So there was such a rush this year. I think a lot of people that I knew had found a house and found a group of people to live with by October. And it wasn't really, um, this. I think this term the uni sent out basically like a finding a house 101 sort of tutorial. Um, that the student union was going to do. And I don't think any anyone online is going to be interested in that because we've all had to sort of deal with it um, individually. We've all had to sort of contact the real estate and everything like that, so. Well, uh, you've mentioned the student union there. So I think let's let's end this section by talking about that. Do you think the SU can do more um, either in support of rent strike or demanding more university in terms of tuition fee rebates or rent, rent rebates? Um, I won't risk it, but going back to you, Charlie, just yet. So let's go to you instead, Scott. Um, well, you know, I, I, I always think the SU can, can do more, uh, which is probably, you know, I'm quite cynical uh, about the union. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, 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 I always find that uh, maybe they, they don't have enough um, animus behind them, um, enough sort of fire in, in their belly, as it were, in uh, support of students. So I think they should really go after, you know, be bold, go after some more radical concessions. Um, even if they don't get them, you know, that's what they're there for. Yeah. Andrew, what do you think? There's probably a lot of things the SU wants to do, but I feel like their hands are probably tied by whoever's above them, whoever's managing it. I know it's separate from the university, but at the end of the day, everyone kind of has the inkling that there's something going on there that stops them from doing exactly this kind of stuff. I, I don't know, maybe an overhaul of the SU. You, everyone's probably seen the Facebook comments where it's like, no one likes you, resign. Um, yeah. Well, let, and, and finally, let's go one last try. Charlie. <laughs> can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, yes. fantastic. We can hear you. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, the SU should do more. Um, it's clear. It's quite a privatised institution nowadays. Um, it, um, when my stepmother was at university, they said the SU was a lot more proactive in terms of being for the students, but clearly it has a bit more of an agenda now. It can't really do as much as it can because it's more than just like students. It has other links to other companies and other ties. But yes, I, I do think they should just support the students more. They should have more of an active sort of role in trying to get ranked strikes, especially for work for campus and work accommodation students, because that's probably the easiest one to do. Private landlords are kind of a, a much trickier situation. They can't really be done at all. Um, so yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's move away from the, the current crisis for universities. Let's turn towards the future. Um, over the last few weeks, we've had a lot of discussion about what's, what's next for universities, what's next for the, the whole system. And I want to I want to talk to the, the people at the panel here about what, what they sort of see the future universities being. Um, universities either float or say that they're going to they're going to start getting rid of lectures um, as something you attend from next year. They're going to keep the on, either keep the online current system 
integrated more of seminars. Um, I, I want okay. Who am I, I going to come to first? Um, Ed, I'll come to you first. Um, as a freshman, obviously, you know, you never really experienced a normal lecture. What do you think about this idea? Um, I think one of the frustrations that I had this year was that, although for a brief moment, for a brief period, I did have in-person seminars. I think I attended three in-person seminars and all my lectures have been um, online. And I think it's quite difficult because a lot of the online lectures that I watch, the professors at the beginning always say, well, if this was in person, I would do this and I'd act out certain scenarios. And because I studied laws, uh, I studied PDL, so the majority of my law lectures are quite sort of laid back and very much like if we were in person we would be doing this and I think that is one of the things that I have um, missed out on and I think in the future I think universities will adopt a blended style of um, learning and you know as people call this the new normal um, and I, I, it is sort of frustrating to miss out on this personally. Yeah. Oh, or then let's go from someone who's experienced too little of it, someone who's had probably too much. Arthur, what do you think about this plan to me lectures online? Yeah, I mean, I've already said I, I don't mind. Um, I mean, again, I've, I feel like it very much um, varies in subject to subject basis, as Eden was just saying. Her law lectures seem to be kind of more involved. But um, from almost all of my politics and um, philosophy lectures I had. I mean, economics, um, you don't talk about that. But um, for, for my politics and philosophy lectures, there, there wasn't, there, at least I don't remember any scenario sitting in my lectures where I thought this couldn't be online. Like I think, especially if you have the, the asynchronous lectures. I mean, honestly, wife, maybe a somewhat radical idea, but maybe, you know, if, if the most efficient way to do it would just be for, um, going forward uh, make like pure humanities courses like philosophy be more blended and online just generally in the future and maybe cut the tuition fee even while um you could have um <laughs> well for, for more like in like you know involved courses like uh I don't know, engineering or biology and um, they should kind of keep the um the offline learning format once um COVID finishes. But even even that said, I mean, we have the vaccines rolling out slowly, but who's to say that next year we'll even have a sort of like a full solution to the COVID crisis? What if there's a new variant and do we need a whole new set of vaccines to sort it out? I think, I, 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 I don't feel like, you know, come next year, we'll just have a return to normal already. I think we're in for a longer haul of kind of COVID-induced disruption than, we're, than we might expect. Arthur, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, Charlie, I want to come to you as a resident biologist. Um, should we be ready for a long-haul crisis? Pardon? Should we be ready for a long-haul crisis here with, um, with, in terms of online learning? Yes, definitely. There's not... Um, obviously, the vaccine rollout is great, but even if the first four-tier top... Like, the most priority groups are vaccinated by mid-February, there's still the entirety of the rest of the population. And then... The coronavirus is never going to go away. There's not really a cure for it. So there's a lot more mitigation that needs to be done in terms of making areas a lot safer. And the university, I think students and their wealth and like the sort of safety are at the bottom of the list. So until then, until like there's enough in place to keep say, okay, it's safe to come back and do lectures now. It's safe to come do your seminars. It's safe to come do labs. There's going to be, it's going to be essentially online with all like precautions in place. It'll be I imagine the 2021-2022 year will at least have like half of it being online, being like sort of generous. Uh, it's definitely going to be here for at least a couple of years. There's no way that we can't 
not do that, I think. Okay. Cheery and optimistic from, from Charlie there. Um, let's come to you, Scott. What, what do you think? How, how do you feel about online lectures? Um, you know, I, I, I agree with Arthur that the lectures certainly online, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of them are basically the same quality, uh, if not better, as the in-person ones. I think what a lot of, well, no, I suppose maybe I'm projecting that. I, I, certainly what I valued the most uh, was in-person small group seminars. Um, and I, I, I think you do lose something about those and the quality of discussion and debate for humanities at the very least uh, by having them online uh, rather than in person. And uh, But no, I, I think in future, basically, again, agree with Arthur, that a, a mixed approach is the best way possibly with um, you know, options to cut fees. Uh, it's worth, uh, you know, lots of students, I, I do think, feel that way. At the beginning, you know, there are plenty of online university courses and yet in-person teaching for the last decade has remained, uh, you know, traditional universities have remained the most uh, popular form of higher education. So there's definitely still demand for it. Yeah, well, it's a crossover point. Um, now, another big thing that's happened in terms of universities is, of course, UCAS has discussed changing when you apply, changing when you receive university offers to after you receive A-level results. Um, I want to come to you first, Eden. Obviously, you had a, had a nightmare A-level after season, I presume, um, last year. What do you think about this idea? Um, I'm actually uh, for this because I think it's very, it, it sort of makes the process a little bit more transparent. I think it would, in my opinion, I think it does reduce sort of anxiety levels for students because when you do apply for unis, you do know, so, like, you do know if you're going to get in because a lot of time with UCAS, you know, even if you have the predicted grades, you don't actually know if the uni is going to accept you. And I think once you've actually got those grades, um, you're more likely to be less anxious about the results and less anxious about, um, the future and I did see something in the news the other day it's, just, it's interesting that we're making 16 and 17 year olds choose a degree that's going to sort of set them on a life path or make such a life-changing decision at the age of 16 or 17 I think this decision to sort of apply for universities much later in the process is sort of going to have a large impact on what students actually choose as a degree perhaps because once you get your results you actually know what you've done well and whereas predictive grades often inflated sort of often you know <laughs> as we saw in the u-turn but our predictive grades are often inflated and often sort of set you on a, a path especially for me i got I, I i received the grades to go to um a, another uni but i decided to go to work because i thought that the extracurriculars were much better than the uni i chose and i think it does sort of change the, the way in which you, you perceive your uni experience definitely yeah, well, I, I hope even in these dark pandemic time that extra clickers are delivering. Um, I, at least I hope this is good. I can't really hope for anything else. Um, but I actually, my first grades were actually inflated when I was at uni school because I, 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 I had dyspraxia, so I was terrible at exams. My school was like, well, you can't actually give you this into grade, but we'll inflate it anyway. I'll end up here. So maybe that's a, a warning, I suppose, to all children out there. Don't get your grades inflated or end up somewhere you're hopefully unqualified for. Um, I don't want, um, yeah, I want to come to you, Andrew. What, what do you think about this whole process, this whole this new idea for UCAS to move after exams? I think it's a really good idea. And obviously, operationally, getting people to finish their exams sort of uh, around the start of summer and then process all of those applications before university starts, you know, late September, early October, it's going to be difficult. There's a reason this takes as much time as it does. But at the same time, 
as Eden said, making that decision in year 12 about what kind of degree you want to study, it's just insane, I think, because you've only done one year of your A-levels, you haven't even experienced like a taste of what's to come. But for some reason, you're making these huge decisions without a lot of supporting information. And my advice, if anyone is still in sixth form, I don't know if this is good advice or not, but I wish I'd taken like a gap year and gone, okay, what do I actually want to do? What am I actually good at? And what kind of direction do I want to take myself in in the next three to four years? Uh, and also, if you're still in sixth form and you're watching a university news show, why? Uh, please explain. Please comment along and just, just tell me. Not, not in a mean way, I just want to know. Um, I guess this brings us on to our final, our final topic in this sort of segment of conversation. Um, the university minister recently said that they believe that we should stop funding pointless degrees like media studies and humanities and start funding useful ones like engineering and STEM. I can already see Charlie smiling away at that. Don't, they'll, you know, they'll start with the humanities and they'll go after you with life sciences. That's the most wishy-washy I've ever heard. Um, well, I want to come to you. As a, as a fellow diehard humanities student, what do you think of this? Um, well, uh, actually, I, I feel like a bit of a traitor because I, I don't fully agree with that, but I do... Well, then uh, let's take you off air then. I'm not, I'm not happy. <laughs> I do, no, I, I, I do have, you know, I, I do sympathize with the idea that, you know, STEM subjects are um, not, not more useful, but certainly, you know, in in much greater demand um, at, at the moment. So I, I, I don't know. I think there are too many, there's an argument that there are too many um, humanities degrees and not enough jobs uh, which require them um, and, and the other way around for, for STEM students. So well, I, I, I don't know. I, the question I'm is, a, Scott, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm a degree traitor. Uh, I don't know. The question, what am I doing? I'm not clever enough to do uh, a STEM subject, is the honest answer. Um, yeah. All right. Um, well, then, Charlie, I guess we'll have to come back to you. Um, what do you think? Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a mixed bag because I reliably know most of the graduates from the last year of my like, life, of the life science department, didn't actually end up being a scientist. They all went and did something else because they decided they hated a degree. Uh, so having a drive towards well only fund STEM degrees might it might be good for the economy uh, might it's also good for research and stuff like that but it will lead to a lot of students who are like I shouldn't have done this degree I actually hate it I want to do English instead so having the the disincentive to do a subject someone actually likes it's just gonna it'll make you more employable but it won't really make you much happier um, I know that for a fact that I probably won't end up being a scientist after I finish my degree. I, I don't hate my degree, but I have a mixed emotions with it. I'd much rather have gone and done a much more humanities degree, and I wouldn't have appreciated everyone showing be a scientist down my throat from the age of 16. Okay, so uh, two degree traitors there. It all balances out. Everything is now equal once again. Um, Eden, you can be a tiebreaker. What do you think? Right, I am inclined to feel offended by the government's remarks. Um, about my degree, but yeah, I I, I agree with um, Scott that STEM subjects are obviously in demand, but I disagree that we should be disincentivizing students to take humanities degrees. I think STEM and humanities degrees prepare students in very different ways, but like on a sort of separate note, I think that I think there should be more of an emphasis on vocational degrees. Perhaps there's been like a large increase in students who leave um, 
sixth form and studied vocational degrees of vocational colleges. And I think the government said something early on in the pandemic about, you know, people shouldn't, you know, nowadays getting a degree isn't as valuable as it was 20 or 30 years ago. And I think it's quite, it's very obvious, obviously, in the current graduate market. And there needs to be more of an emphasis on sort of not getting a degree, perhaps, because paying nine grand, let's be honest, for like a YouTube subscription, in my opinion, is not really worth it anymore. No, I mean, it's not only a YouTube subscription, they have better graphics. Uh, we have had a comment here. Um, Jacob says, STEM for life. And if you could spell life, Jacob, I would take you seriously. Now, <laughs> now um, we'll, we'll move on quickly from universities because uh, we do have, I have one, I think probably our last topic for today. And let's be really brief for it. Joe Biden is President of the United States of America. Uh, I'd like everyone to sit that for a moment. Uh, a day I know for will come when I say Joe Biden is President of the United States of America. Um, but here we are, almost, almost a week in Joe Biden's America. How do we think he's doing? Um, let's go around, starting with you, Andrew. How do you think Joe Biden's doing? Oh God, where do I begin? This whole like election thing has just been banging on for ages, and apparently he got elected like months ago, and then he's only been inaugurated this week. Like, I'm just glad it's over, to be honest, because obviously America's got such an influence over what happens in the world that hope it goes for the best. But our family who live in America, and one of them's like just posting on Facebook every day, either he's happy with it, he's unhappy with it. Just like, just get his. Okay, I can't say that. Just get your stuff together. <laughs> and, um, what were you going to say? Yeah. I mean, don't say it, but just, I'll just message that later. Um, Eden, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm quite impressed with his endeavour so far. I think he's trying to vaccinate 100 million people in the first 100 days of his um, presidency. And I think he's also rejoining the Paris climate and he's trying to rejoin... It's WHO, which is sort of promising, obviously. And I think he's most of his presidency is going to be um, sort of not un undoing a lot of Trump's presidency. So I think, in terms of um, efficiency, I think he's going to have a little bit of a little bit of trouble, sort of proposing actual legislation that puts forward his ideas rather than proposing legislation that undoes a lot of Trump's um, ideas. Yeah, um, Scott. I'll come to you. How's he doing? Uh, yeah, quite reasonably well and it's entirely predictable, really. Um, you know, as Eden says, he's, uh, he's, do, he's already started uh, undoing some of the, the damaging, the more damaging elements of the Trump presidency. I think about a third of the uh, uh, executive orders he's signed so far have been direct sort of U-turns uh, from the Trump administration. Um, very sort of middle-of-the-road, moderate cabinet, uh, appointments. I think uh, his uh, Secretary of State is being sworn uh, confirmed today. And um, yeah, it was, it was quite a good inauguration speech with a couple of hiccups, uh, but on the whole, first five days are going um, pretty well. Yeah. Encouraging. Charlie? Yeah, exactly the same. He's doing pretty well. He's pretty much doing a good job at undoing everything Trump has done. But yeah, I agree with Eden. Doing his own things might be a bit more difficult he might face a bit more opposition but so far it's been a breath of fresh air seeing everyone in america just relax a little bit knowing that the country's in a bit a, a lot more of a safe pair of hands um but i guess the storming of the capital might show there's still like quite a lot of unrest with the trump supporters and might lead to some difficulties later down the road yeah. if trump likes yeah. to be vocal 
Yes, as he mentioned, not everyone in America has relaxed quite yet. Uh, we'll come. We'll come to you, Arthur. Two things. First, the, the coverage in the liberal press has been absolutely nauseous. Like, yeah, it's a good thing Trump's out of office, but like reading the Washington Post or like just seeing CNN just just worshiping him, it's like, oh my god. The whole the whole kind of liberal narrative is that Fox News worships Donald Trump like he was some North Korean dictator slash god, and now they're reproducing the exact same thing. I mean, Biden's all right, but he's not. You know, he's not an incredible candidate. His speech wasn't like wasn't that amazing. It was something which, which I think anyone here could have written easily. But you know, he says, "I'm going to unite the country." Blah blah blah. It's, you know, it's it's fantasy. You're not going to unite the country. Right. That aside, the second point I have to say is, I heard apparently now this is just um, this is just like reports, so I'll be unsubstantiated, but. Apparently, um, the, the, the Joe Biden's um, team, they had no idea they were going to win in Georgia. And as a result, they didn't prepare much legislation to bring to the floor. For example, the $2,000 checks, which they promised so aggressively in the run-up to the Georgia Senate runoffs. Why not put the $2,000 stimulus check on the floor? House voted for it. Trump said he was for it. Biden and the two Georgia Senate candidates both said, we're going to pass $2,000 checks as soon as we get into office. Republicans are the ones blocking it. And now they're in office, they're doing nothing. Instead, I've heard that the first um, kind of major piece of legislation they're bringing is immigration legislation, which is probably the worst possible thing you could do at this time. Republican Party is a shambles. Like, it has no future. Trump's completely destroyed it. And now they're, they're probably doing the one thing which could, could unite uh, Republican Party that's tearing itself apart. Instead of, for ex- if they bought the stimulus checks right now to the floor, say like tomorrow, they would put the Republican senators in a very difficult position. And it would probably exacerbate, it would not only exacerbate the divisions in that party, but also it could be a good bipartisan win for the, for the Biden administration right at the start, which I think would be, you know, set the agenda going forward, especially after Joe Biden has made such a, you know, momentous element of his program being bipartisan in return to normalcy. Instead, he's, you know, I personally think that, um, you know, I personally take the democratic position on the immigration debate, but starting out with immigration legislation is probably one of the most divisive policies you could push through Congress, and it probably won't pass. And, you know, one last thing, um, but I, I believe they're waiting until March to bring their stimulus check, their stimulus legislation to the, to the floor. And even then, they will need 60 votes to get it through. Um, to, to block a filibuster, it's it's not going to happen. I think again, there's a lot of. It's good that Trump's out of office, but the kind of um, you know the fantastical um, you know and zealous rhetoric and part of a lot of the main media institutions is kind of um, distracted from the practical failures we are seeing and which we will see going forward. And I think based on what we're seeing, um, you know, things aren't boding particularly well. I, I think. My understanding of the $2,000 checks is they're trying to do it for the Budget Committee and the recon- Reconciliation Bill, which I think only needs, 50, only needs 51 votes to pass. But they're not. I, I believe their main strategy at the moment is to go with a six, just a normal 60-vote piece of legislation in March, which probably won't pass. If they just did the $2,000 checks on their own, they put a lot of pressure on the Republicans, especially like Marco Rubio and Josh Hawley, who already said, we will vote for the $2,000 checks. Well, I was reading an interview with Bernie Sanders, who's the incoming budget committee chair. I'm going to minimise you so we not just look at your face while we're arguing. I was really, I really interviewed Robert Bernie Sanders, the incoming budget chair committee, and he said that his his plan was if the grocery Republicans failed this week, they're going to bring it into reconciliation bill and hopefully have it in, have it in place and distribute from either as a circulating you know 
the Czechs as in being said to people by March. Uh, that's, that's the hope. I think by March was the hope they had. Um, well, so clearly a lot of, I was about to say mixed feelings, but a lot positive and one very mixed feeling, one very negative feeling about Joe Biden going around currently. Um, so let's, let's leave, let's leave the job behind for a second. Let's talk a bit more about Donald Trump and what he's going to do next. Um, we've had lots of uh, things floating around that I was going to start a new political party, the Patriot Party, or he's going to launch Trump TV. Um, but Donald Trump has seen he's gone very suspiciously quiet in his, his time around the office. Um, Scott, I want to come to you. What do you think Donald Trump should do next? Um, well, I don't, well, what, what do I think he should do next? I can't say on air, but uh, no, I think uh, no, I, 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 he won't start. It's very unlikely he'll start a third political party. It would be very misguided. I mean, third parties don't do well in, in America. And, and if he does, it'll destroy the GOP at the next election, probably. Um, will he uh, be, will, the, will he get convicted of the impeachment? I, I don't know. Probably not. Um, will he run again? I don't know if he, there's a lot of um, sort of speculation, and that's all that it really is, of whether he really wants to um, uh, get back into sort of a, electoral politics uh, I suspect his uh, you know his heart is really in media and uh, TV that's what he loves that's what he's good at uh, so he will he'll probably start a well maybe not start a channel or get involved in an existing channel and uh, get his own talk show but I, I don't know if he will run again even if he can yeah. oh if he can is the big question here yes. of course, Trump's impeachment trial is said starting um, two weeks from this Monday um, so it's delayed so it can focus on confirming Biden's cabinet. Um, I, w- I want to go around. Do we think, this is the final question today before we wrap up, do we think jo- that, that Donald Trump is going to get impeached? Um, let's, let's, we'll, we'll do it all the way around this time. Ian, we'll start with you. Yeah, as much as I'd like him to, um, <laughs> I don't think it will. I think it's quite uh, improbable that he will. But and it's sort of, not it is relevant, but I think um, in terms of like what you said about what he's going to do next, I think there's going to be more focus on what his children are going to actually do next. I think Ivanka Trump is looking at um, running for the Florida Senate seat, um, and I think much to Marco Rubio's <laughs> demise, d- demise. But I, I think it's quite interesting that I think he will go to Trump TV. Um, I think he will sort of focus on media, and that's what he does best, and that's where the money is. Um, so I think that's that's his focus. And no, I don't think he will get impeached because I think the political sort of mishaps of like his presidency i say mishaps sort of underestimates what he actually did but i think what he actually has done is more likely to have an impact on gop as scott said rather than his actual own individual sort of impeachment process yeah arthur what do you think i think contrary to a lot of the um indignant hysteria i I think that Trump was actually very shell shocked by the whole, um, the whole um, right, the whole capital riot thing, and the, the subsequent response from a lot of Republican officials. I don't think he premeditated it. I think his vote was like, "Oh, what have I done? Whoops!" Because, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think, honestly, I think he's at the moment. I think we, we the reason we haven't heard much from A because his Twitter account was taken down. Thank God. But B was because I think he genuinely doesn't have a clue. Because um, I, I think had had this whole riot thing not happened, and you know a lot of Republican lawmakers hadn't been forced to take a kind of affirmative position on his, you know, on his, you know, aggressive tweets, I do think that Trump would have been kind of odds on to win the Republican nomination in twenty twenty four had he run. But um, 
you know, now in recent, you know, weeks we've seen, you know, high rank, high ranking Republicans like Liz Cheney and John McConnell kind of, kind of break quite, um, you know, break quite substantively from the president. So I think that will pose a lot of trouble for him, um, going into, you know, going, if going to the next election, if he sought Republican nomination, I think him and a lot of his closest advisors are aware of that. So um, I, I think he he's quite rattled. Um, I honestly, it's too early to say what he does. I think he doesn't have any clue what he does now either. But um, I, I I I am suspicious of the idea he'll start a third party because ultimately that involves a degree of you know effort and an attention span which I don't think he possesses. And neither do I think he has um, you know a sufficient infrastructure of you know individuals with the you know with the you know practical capacity to actually run that kind of organization as we saw the trump administration was a nightmare because there are very few kind of competent administrators who actually shared his kind of ideological positions more likely is he goes down you know the the, the media out joins has gets shown newsmax or starts trump tv and just kind of sits on the sidelines just spewing you know just spewing nothing whatsoever and causing a bit of a fuss and maybe you know um, provoking some backlash and kind of the liberal media ecosystem, but um, I, I think I, I, I suspect that he will he will take the easy route as he has always done as he has always done, and I think the, the capital riots especially have drastically diminished the odds of him um, seeking the presidency again in twenty twenty four. Right, Charlie. Yeah, I, I agree with Arthur. I think the impeachment trial isn't, it's, he's not going to end up being impeached. I don't see how he will. Um, checks and balances and like the US government are always a bit dodgy in that. But he will definitely remain vocal, as vocal as he can. Trump TV, I can see being a real possibility. Despite his like Twitter being suspended and despite like most of the world hating him, he has still got a very strong support base, which he will continue to like keep feeding and and like poking the fires with. Just to like, I don't know why, but just like stay relevant, I guess. Um, he will just keep twisting facts for his own like perspectives. Like if I stayed president, this would have happened. If I did this, this would have happened. Biden's terrible. That seems to be more likely what he will do. But I don't think he would. I he would run again for twenty twenty four, mainly because of the riots. I do think that has just erased all chance of him being president ever again. Um. Oh, well, we're really asking that, Scott. Let's go to you, Andrew. I have an idea for what he should do. Uh, and I, obviously, he's not going to do this because I'm just a uni student. But Trump, if you're watching this, take this into consideration. Uh, there was this thing that I think Richard Branson did where it was kind of like a reality TV show and he pitted like American people against each other. Uh, I think some like survival thing. And whoever won got to be CEO of his company uh, for like a few months or something. That would be such a good show. Like, Obviously, I think when Branson did it, it completely flops, and uh, he got like a lot of backlash for it. But I think if he's going to do anything, he needs to do this kind of thing where like whoever wins gets to be like mock president of America uh, or something. It was just be so funny to watch. I, yeah, I, I, it's not, like, yeah, I thought you were pitching the Hunger Games to me. I was so confused. Um, but also, Trump, if you're out there and you're watching Insight, please come on the show. Um, I would love to have you. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to give you an interview. I don't have a Twitter anymore. We can, we can get, share your thoughts here. Please. I'm a very great, I'm a lovely host. Everyone's having a good time. You have a good time. Um, and with that, it's time to wrap up today's show. Um, thank you to all my panel. You've all been absolutely fantastic. Thank you for watching at home. Uh, we'll be back next week. But until then, 
um, goodbye. Your student radio station on 1251 AM. This is your role.